invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Reading the last verses of this chapter, verses 35 through 38. Sort of like last week, I'll say that I'm suspending my my normal pattern of preaching through the book of 1 Peter to take up a, a special subject today. But I'll be, uh, I'll be calling attention to the way in which these things are put into practice by Peter himself. So there's a lot of continuity that I think that you'll, you'll hear in this. Listen to God's word. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I grew up in a Christian family and in a Christian church, and from an early point in my life, I was, uh, was drawn to the pastoral ministry. I don't even remember this, but even before I could remember, evidently, I would go after the church service and I would tug on my pastor's coat and say, Pastor, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor just like you. Now, I don't remember that, but I was reminded of it by one of my elders. And in time, the pastor that I grew up with retired. And for a period, our congregation didn't have a pastor to serve us right there in our own congregation. Now, the local ruling elders were very active and caring for us and Took a lot of leadership, as they already had been doing, but was more apparent at this point, and uh, very active, and we were earnest in praying that God would, would give us a, a new pastor to serve in our congregation. And over a period of time, God did answer that prayer, and we rejoiced to have a new man come to serve in our congregation. It highlighted to me the need for pastors to serve in congregations. I think it was something that confirmed in me that desire to serve as a pastor and motivated the elder in our congregation to remind me of that childhood aspect of the, that, uh, that he saw in me and, and encouraged that in me. And so today, we are praying that God would send laborers into the harvest. There is a need for pastoral leadership in the church in every age, and it continues to be true today. Our own presbytery of 25 or so congregations has four that do not have pastors, 
And in many of our congregations, there is only a single ruling elder to help out in those congregations. We are blessed by three ruling elders, but we still feel like we have our hands full, and we see in coming generations the need for elders to serve. And so today, by the call of the Midwest Presbytery, and by the recognition of that need ourselves, and by the invitation of Jesus Christ, I am exhorting you to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers, to pray because the, the harvest is plentiful, and because God's people are like sheep who are distressed and scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. Seeing the need and hearing that call, and especially that invitation of Jesus Christ, I want to set out before you today some of the things that elders do, that pastors do. And I want to connect them especially to Jesus Christ. Because our Lord Jesus is a risen and ascended Lord, but that doesn't mean he's inactive. He is currently mediating for the church, and he does so in his three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And those can be seen in the work of the church and especially the work of the elders. So I want to draw something of a line from Jesus to us as a congregation and to the servants that the Lord has given to help us to see Jesus, the grace that he gives. All of that to say, let us pray, as Jesus has invited us, the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Let's start with the role of prophet. In the name of Christ, elders preach and teach the word of God. Elders preach and teach the word of God. What is a prophet? Is their role? Very simply, their role is to reveal God's word to us. You can see it in the Old Testament as the prophets came and often said, Thus says the Lord. It would speak for God. And we have that given to us through the word that is written down to us. But there is a connection now to that office of prophet by the preaching and teaching of God's word. Here's where I want to trace the line. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the office of the prophet. You can hear it in his own words as he said, I came to reveal the Father to you. You can see it in the passage of today in Matthew see, by his example, he was doing the work of a prophet. He was going through the country, preaching the kingdom of heaven and teaching in the synagogues. He saw the need of the people for such teaching to continue. And so he invites his disciples. He invites the church that descends from them. He invites us to pray for more laborers. And there's a striking connection. I stopped at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 9 in Matthew, but if you go on and read in chapter 10, you see Jesus fulfilling that prayer request because he sent out his disciples two by two to proclaim the kingdom. He saw the need. 
He was fulfilling it himself, and then he delegates that to his followers, to his disciples. And he urges us, he invites us to pray for such men to do the work that is so necessary. When Jesus ascended, he gave this work of proclamation to the apostles first, and then to the elders elders who would preach and teach the word of God. Think of how he spoke to Peter after he, had ra- after he had been raised. Remember that Peter had denied him and, uh, and comes joyfully and yet fearfully to Jesus Christ on the shore of Galilee after they'd had the great catch of fish. And Jesus restored Peter and commissioned him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I, I like you, I'm fond of you, yes, I, I love you, those three things that he says. What does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Not literally with the food that we would put in our mouths and but feed them spiritually. He was giving to Peter this ministry of the word, a ministry that he then begins to carry out. And he does so boldly, even uh, uh, with a a great energy and urgency. After the ascension of, as the Jews were assembled in Jerusalem. Where did we find Peter in the passage last week? We found him amongst those on the day of Pentecost. He found them with the other leaders of the church, and as the Spirit of God came upon them, Peter stood up and he preached. He stood up and he proclaimed what it was that had happened, that Jesus was crucified by the hands of wicked men by the foreknowledge and the purpose of God, and was raised again to everlasting life, according to the scriptures. And he explained the scriptures, and he explained the work of Jesus Christ, and he applied it to the people there, so that they cried out, what must we do to be saved? Peter was preaching and teaching the word of God. This was given to him by the authority of the ascended Jesus Christ. And our Savior and mediator, Jesus Christ, continues to do that, even now, by raising up men to serve in the churches, to serve as pastors and elders. Think of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that setting, he's talking about how the Jews and Gentiles all hear this gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is open to both, to Jew and to Gentile. That was an important part of that message. But in this instance, it's it's interesting because there's a natural question about, so if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the question is, well, how will they hear this word of God? How can they have faith in one whom they have not heard? 
And, and he presses this back and back and back with a, a series of questions. How will they hear without a preacher? And how can people preach unless they have been sent? That series of questions pushes it back and connects us vitally to Jesus Christ as the one who sends out the gospel and especially sends out those who are authorized by Jesus himself to proclaim this word. They are sent, sent by Christ to proclaim this good news so that people would hear and believe and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul develops this in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, that the ascended Lord has given gifts to men. Among these are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You see, our ascended Lord provides us his word and his spirit to reveal God to us, to reveal his will for our salvation. He does that to us immediately in the sense that we can each take the Bible and read it ourselves. But he has also given a particular and a blessed way of that word to go out. And that blessed way is through this very setting right here, through the corporate church and through the official proclamation of the salvation that comes through Jesus. And so our catechism says that God uses the word and especially the preaching as an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. This is God's purpose. It's, a, it's one of the ways that, that we are vitally connected to our Savior and to his, his work at, at, in the office of prophet of revealing God to us. It is through the preaching of the word. And uh, it's tempting here to, uh, to, to draw a line like this, that uh, Jesus to the preacher to the people. And there is a, an element of truth to that. But I, I would like to draw it more directly to Jesus through the means of the preaching. So that you don't see me as the mediator, but to see Jesus as the author of your salvation. And of his giving ministers to serve so that you would see Jesus. So like Paul, I hope to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Listen to me as I listen to Jesus. Listen to me as I speak the words he is given to proclaim. So we're praying today for such men, praying for pastors and ruling elders that would preach and teach. So I I would urge you to pray for men that are, are, are passionate about knowing Jesus, that are grounded in God's word, well-trained by it, who are sound in the faith, who are wanting 
others to know this truth and will proclaim it with the same compassion that Jesus had in this passage in Matthew, a compassion that sees people as being distressed and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Pray for for those who would preach and teach God's word. Secondly, Christ is our great high priest and is even now exercising that office. And he also does so in a delegated way through the elders of the church. So in the name of Christ, elders administer the sacraments, which communicate the benefits of Christ's mediation for us. Now here, the work of Jesus is unique. He alone can lay down his life as a sacrifice. He alone is the perfect mediator. As you read through the book of Hebrews, you will find this over and over again. You'll see that he offered up himself the once-for-all sacrifice that satisfies God's justice. He is the only one who can do that, and he is the only one who can live and make continual intercession for us. And central to this work of mediation is the blood of the new covenant. It is by his own blood that we are forgiven of our sins. It is by his body broken and his blood poured out that we have salvation. And you hear this throughout the words of the scripture especially in Hebrews chapter 9, where it speaks of that once-for-all sacrifice. You hear it in the sacrament of communion. I've already alluded to that, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood, says Jesus. This blood is shed for you. You can also connect it to baptism. uh, You can also connect it uh, to the cleansing that comes through Christ's blood. Think of all of the Old Testament passages that talk of the cleansing that comes through the blood. Well, we learned this too from Peter, didn't we? Back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, listen to what Peter said. We know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here Peter is preaching and teaching, he's explaining these uh, actions of God and the gospel of the kingdom, but he's also connecting it to these other means of grace that God has given to us. The grace of the two sacraments of the Lord's Supper and of baptism. You see, Jesus Christ as an ascended high priest has also given to the church these two tangible signs of the gospel of God's grace. And he's given them to be administered by the elders so that so that you would have this vital connection with Jesus. And here I'm drawing that line again to connect you with your Savior through the sacraments 
that are administered by God's servants, the elders. Now, the sacraments are ones that are, uh, are, are outward signs that are often t- spoken of of an inward grace. Now, it doesn't mean that the sacraments in and of themselves are, are meaningless. Instead, they are packed full of meaning. And as you meditate on them, you can, uh, you can see some of the, <clears throat> the many blessings of this vital connection that Jesus Christ has made with us through the sacraments. He knows that, that we are, uh, are scattered and, and, and are like sheep that have gone astray and that we need this. So I appreciate the way uh, the seminary President Barry York meditates on this in, in a book called Hitting the Marks. He calls attention to the fact that baptism marks the seriousness of the call of Christ. It marks repentance over sin. It marks cleansing for forgiveness and the holiness of life and entrance into the visible church. He says, if you are baptized, you are marked with the blood, uh, marked by the to be a blood, that's a tongue twister, marked to be the blood-bought servant of Christ. The holiness of the sacrament comes from the holiness of the blood it represents, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. You could do the same thing with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, meditating on the experience of, uh, of, of Christ proclaiming by his own authority your forgiveness, that his body and blood are for you, that he has given himself for you, and that it is by his authority that, that, that we celebrate these sacraments. These are things to meditate on and to see the grace that God gives to us. We can see why. The sacraments have been called one of the marks of the church. It's a marker of the very lifeblood of the church. They are given to the church corporately to administer, not taken individually. Now, we are individually blessed. You're vitally connected to Jesus individually. But you do not take these things to yourself. You do not baptize yourself. You do not give communion to yourself. It is given to you by the servants of Jesus Christ, by the authority of Jesus. So, again, I want to draw that line of the vital connection between you and Jesus. It is his authority delegated to the servants They're ministering Jesus to you. So pray for such men that are passionate about the precious things of God. They're passionate about these holy ordinances. When I use that term, it may be off-putting to some, making you think of, uh, well, that sounds very Roman Catholic. But we're not being Roman Catholic when we talk about something that is holy. 
It is a biblical term. And these practices are not a nothing. They are holy to the Lord. They are instituted by Christ himself for our good. And the elders of the church are recognizing that and are coming alongside of you to to nurture your faith with these visible, tangible signs show you the grace of Jesus Christ. Pray for such men that are passionate for the sacraments. Thirdly, the office of king. Here, the kingly work of Jesus Christ comes through in the church in the office of ruling and of defending. In the name of Christ, elders serve and protect the flock of Christ through the exercise of church discipline. As king, Jesus is described as saving us from our enemy, Satan, from delivering us from our sin, for rescuing us from the domain of darkness. His kingly office is also shown in that he governs our behavior, rewarding obedience, disciplining our sin. He protects us and preserves us when we are tempted. He powerfully directs all of history to its appointed end and is specifically described as being a head over all things for the church. He's head over all things for the church. It lifts us, it lifts the church into this privileged category. It shows the sovereignty of God, the kingly work of Jesus Christ, being directed particularly for the benefit of his people. And once more, Jesus has also delegated work of that rule and protection to the elders who serve in each congregation. So he's entrusted elders to watch over the sheep from wolves who try to sneak in, to tear and to rend and to devour. It's the language that Paul uses in Acts chapter 20. He's given elders to guard against the work of Satan, who is like a lion, who is prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. It's the language of Peter. He's given us elders to watch over our souls, to deliver us from, or to, to direct us to Christ who delivers us from those sins that easily ensnare. It's the language of Hebrews. We're vitally connected to Jesus who is ruling and reigning over all things, protecting us from Satan himself. You can see then Peter carrying this out in his ministry. It's not so long in the apostolic church It's funny how we always want to go back to the apostolic church as if it's pure and pristine, but 
It's not too long until there is sin that creeps into the apostolic church. And there are those who come and who lie about their donation to the church. And Peter confronts them. Why is it that you lie against the Holy Spirit? And judgment falls on this husband and wife. They fall dead. Exercise of church discipline. And the purity of the church is established and protected. And the body of Christ is benefited. There is a fear of the Lord. There's a respect for the Lord's authority that comes upon the church. And it says that there were thousands that were added to the church after this occurrence. This is... Peter is doing. He is exercising church discipline. You can see it as well as Jesus speaks to Peter, entrusting to him what he calls the keys of the kingdom. A lot more could be said on that. You know that this is not a literal key. It, uh, it's kind of like a symbolic key that might be awarded to you if you do something for the city. You, you're given the key to, the, to Stillwater. A great big skeleton key, by the way. It's not a, it's not a uh, little credit card that is like a passcode. <laughs> but that key doesn't open any door, but it, it, it's symbolic. Keys of the kingdom are symbolic of the authority that Jesus is delegating to the leaders of the church so that there would be protection, so that there would be governing, that there would be leadership. And while leaders lead, they do so, as I've already alluded, or as I said specifically, follow me as I follow Jesus. So again, I'm drawing a line from Jesus to you and the vital connection that is enabled and served by the elders that Jesus delegates authority to. Now, church discipline is not a popular topic, is it? It's all well and good to talk about it theoretically, but the covenant of membership that is part of our congregation says, in case you should need correction in doctrine or life, do you promise to respect the authority of the elders of the church? And each of you members have promised that. And as I said, it is all well and good to promise that at the beginning of this relationship. It is hard when that day comes. You need correction. But it is for your good. See, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you enough to discipline you. And he does so through the hands of the elders of the church who love Jesus and who love you. It is a weighty responsibility that elders undertake. It is not fun, I can tell you. 
It is hard. And it is easy to say, well, we'll just turn a blind eye because I don't want conflict. There's something else that motivates me, and this is what I would urge you to pray for elders and pastors in our congregation and and in our presbytery. Out of love for Christ and his way, I kneel to that. Out of love for his word, I teach that. Pray for that. Out of love for Christ's church, which has been purchased with his blood, pray that we would have elders that are willing to do the hard work and the loving work of watching over the souls of the congregation who would take that step of correction when needed. Pray for this. We need it, each one of us individually. I need this. I have promised this. I have committed to hear the counsel, the admonition, the correction of the church. I pray that you would follow me as I follow Jesus in this. Jesus has invited us to pray for laborers in the harvest. Laborers that would preach and teach the word of God. Laborers that would administer the precious sacraments. Laborers that would lovingly exercise church discipline. Join me today and in the coming days to pray for such men, for us. Pray this for me, please. Pray this for our presbytery and really for the church worldwide. There's a need in every age. Let's pray. God, thank you for your invitation to pray. We have boldness then to pray exactly as you have, have invited us. Oh God, send laborers into the harvest. Oh God, send men that know your word and proclaim it, who go out as heralds of the king to speak on your behalf. Oh Lord, send out men that understand the precious things that you have given to us, how the sacraments portray the grace that you have purchased with your own precious blood. And may the baptisms be multiplied in your church. And may the sacrament of the Lord's Supper be observed with awe and reverence for what you have done and your authority to proclaim our forgiveness. And, O Lord, give us men, give us laborers that love you and love your church so much that they will carry out the same sort of loving discipline that you desire, that you carry out it in and of yourselves. God, send laborers. We need them desperately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Jesus is the great good shepherd who has purchased the flock with his own blood. My mind goes to Psalm 23 then, and we'll close with this, praising the Lord who is our great good shepherd. And you can see elements of prophet, priest, and king throughout this psalm. So let's stand and sing Psalm 23. We'll sing Selection B. We stand.